Galatians 4. I mean that as the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he's under the guardian and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather, to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless and elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe the days and the months and the seasons and the years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, but I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of the blessing you felt? For I testify to you that, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone for I'm perplexed by you. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, being children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem from above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does, who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, 
but of the free woman. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, this can be a confusing chapter. Uh, we, yeah. We've just kind of come through what I think are maybe clearer chapters. Hmm. Um, and then all of a sudden there's all these people and slaves and sons and Hagar and Sarah and casting Hagar yeah. out. And and there, so there's kind of some necessary, I guess, Old Testament knowledge here. Yeah, yeah. The, the quick synopsis, right? God gave Abraham the promise of a child. Sarah was barren. He had a child, Ishmael, with her maidservant, mm. and then, which is Hagar. Yeah. And then, of course, God ultimately fulfilled his promise. He did have a child with his wife, Sarah, who, of course, is Isaac. So that's kind of the analogy. Isaac right. was the chosen, promised son. Hagar was kind of this forced thing, or, or the, Ishmael, rather, through, through Hagar. Maybe you could say it's an analogy of not trusting God. Um, but there was there was some tension, obviously, between that. Paul's again using this the child of the slave or the child and the slave, but the child owns everything. There's just a lot going on in the passage. There is. Help us out. Yeah. Well, I mean, if we can, if if we can sum it up simply, um, which is really difficult. Paul's using so Paul Paul's Paul's using the example of Sarah and Hagar and the two children, right? To, um. He's, and as he says, he's reading allegorically. I mean, this is not exactly the same thing, but you could say it's like an illustration. What he's trying to illustrate is the difference. If you if you think back to where he began in chapter four, the the distinction between being under the law, like what you talked about yesterday, right? In chapter three, the distinction between being under the law and under the promise. And Paul's point is the promise was always the thing, right? Um, that's what it was always all about. And so what Paul's trying to impress upon the Galatians, who are, by the way, uh, Gentiles by birth, right, is that, hey, look, totally apart from the law, totally apart from the law, you are part of the people of God. And what's more is the law by itself never made people part of the people of God, all by itself. Um, it was always the believing promise. in God's yeah. promise. Right, which has now come in its fullness in Jesus. And so basically what he's saying to them is this. You who were once, when he says you were enslaved to those things who are not gods. And this is Paul, this is one of the most radical thing, Paul's radical things that Paul says in the whole New Testament about the law. Um, but we have to hear it really carefully. Um, he says, You who were Gentiles, you were enslaved to things that are not gods, right? They're pagans. And now what he's saying is this. Having become Christians, having been justified by faith alone apart from works, if you take up bits and pieces of the law to try to um, have your identity in that and the things that you do, you are putting yourself under a curse no different than when you were an idolater right. and a pagan. Right? Now, of course, Paul's not saying adding, the Mosaic law is like yeah. paganism. But adding a little uh, <laughs> yeah, adding a little Jesus to your you know, it's like on one side you have the pagan who, let's just say for all intents and purposes, is just living in the worldly way. On the other side, you have the Pharisee who, let's say for all intents and purposes, using religion, using Christianity for worldly desires to oppress people, to have, to show pride, to show achievement, whatever it may be. I think that's what he's saying. He's like, both of these people, this is not the gospel. Yeah. This, this is not, they're not saved. They're both the same. 
Uh, and that is very radical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that you know it can be shocking for us to hear. Because uh, I think it, it could sound on one way like that Paul's somehow. So Paul's not, Paul's not condemning the law. Paul's point is this. The law did exactly what God purposed it to do. It just, God didn't purpose it to do more than that. That's right. That's good. That's, that's so helpful. Right? I mean, that's really Paul's point is, you know, the law was never meant to save. It was always pointing to something greater. Yeah. And, 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 and. It, this isn't something that's just all of a sudden become true now that Jesus has come, right? It's not just like we had this law part. Now Jesus, it is all along. I think the, that's really the confusing. Law was pointing to, beyond to, itself to Christians too, right? Yeah, and and I think like now as we think back, if if what you say is true, and of course I believe that is true, as I think back to what did God desire for the Hebrew people in the Old Testament, it's actually the same kind of thing that He desires from us. It's not that they just to love God and to love. Right, right, robotically obey the law. It's that exactly. they, they would be his people, his children, his sons that he loves, that he delights in, and that delight in him as their father. Exactly. Now, I'll make this short, but think about Psalm one nineteen. Like everybody knows Psalm one nineteen, if nothing else, because it's longest the longest chapter in the Bible. Yeah, exactly. But it's all you know. It's and sometimes people say you know it's all about the law. Well, it isn't actually just simply about the law. And, and even I have sometimes said it's like an ode to the law, but it's not. It's an ode to the law to giver. God, yeah. David doesn't say, hey, I love law. Law is the greatest thing. I love your law because in it, God is revealed. What God loves is revealed. What God desires for us is revealed. What God condemns is revealed. It's how it reveals who God is that David loves. He doesn't just love having like laws. Yeah, yeah. But we sometimes treat the Mosaic law like it was just like a bunch of laws. But David's like, no, it's the law giver. And if I could kind of summarize, one of the things that the Judaizers were doing, similar, it's identical to the Pharisees, and that is they were upholding the law uh, for all practical purposes, apart from the law giver. They loved the law, but they were showing they were showing that they're not actually faithful to the one who gave the law. And that's why Paul can say that the, the, the current Jerusalem uh, corresponds to Sinai right, under a curse because it's filled with law, like, you know, the, the unbelieving Jews. Right. We have to remember Paul's a Jew. All the apostles are Jews. They're, you know, but the unbelieving Jews in Jerusalem correspond <clears throat> to Sinai. That is commands. And they, they conceive of the relationship with God to be fundamentally a matter of what is done. And that's why, you know, things like not all of Israel is Israel, yeah, right? I mean, exactly. the, what what is Israel and what is God's purpose in the Old Covenant? It, it actually is that his people would know him and delight in him. Um, and, and I think this is so helpful. I mean, this conversation, you know, I hope is dying down and I hope that you know, it's, I think it's lost, uh, it's lost traction because people realized how silly it was. But, you know, a few years ago, there was a lot of conversation about like the Old Testament and kind of a neo-Marcionism um, going on. But in a mm, sense, yeah. you, you can't really understand the character <clears throat> of God without both covenants, right? And you can't understand what God was up to. And And again, all of this is just relying on um, what God has already revealed, yeah. Um, and but but the people had been seeing it wrongly. Yeah, it is it is it is what God has 
it, it is what it is what God has already revealed, but it's it's not only, and I, this is obviously not what you're saying. It's really important that we don't think of the new covenant as being just sort of you pull the curtain back on the old covenant, like, oh, it was all there already, right? The new covenant really is new. Yeah. Right? Um, the fulfillment, of course, it's the fulfillment of the promise, but the fulfillment is not just the end of the promise, right? It is the It is a new thing, a new era. Um, where it is revealed and made absolutely plain that the people of God are the people of God by faith alone, right? And that's you know when Paul says now that faith has come, right? So it is really the gospel. I, the new covenant really is new. I, I do. I sort of repeat that to my students all the time. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what is the newness of the new covenant? It is, you know, that God has come to fulfill it in a sense. Yeah. I mean, well, yeah. There's lots of things we could say, but what the I think one way we could do, especially in light of Galatians, was we could say this, that everything that God was promising from Abraham on has reached its climax, has reached its fulfillment in the final full revelation of God himself in Christ Jesus. Not just, the, not just sort of like the, uh, the fulfillment of, you know, God's kept his promises and now we're the new people of God. Absolutely. But it's that God has finally and fully revealed himself in Jesus of Nazareth, right? And that's that's what is new, right? And 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 that and that he dwells with us. God has come. Yeah, yeah. God has come. He's 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 not he's not dwelling in a in a you know. And of course, Moses knew, right? David knew that God doesn't like God doesn't actually fully dwell like in the temple or the tabernacle, right? And then God would say those very the same things, right? But still, it was the house of God. It's where God's presence was with his people. Sure. But now God's presence has come in the full in a person, and that person is Jesus Christ, right? And now the and 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 then in his ascension, and, and Paul's getting ready to talk about the Spirit, and so I'm sort of talking about it now. Uh, when Christ ascends, what does he do? Um, the Spirit, the promised Spirit comes, who is who? Who is what? He's the presence of God. Yeah. And so that's that is new, right? right. There's no way around it. That yes, is that there, is absolutely new. And the other new thing is this. Sacrifice has been made once and, and for, for all, all right. for the forgiveness. Because of sacrifice has actually been made, right? It actually is, has been made, not just pointed forward. Right. And not just pointing up it so all along the sacrifices is Hebrews, right? The the sacrifices were pointing up to a heavenly reality, and that reality has now come. Yeah. And and, and so I want to say it's like in a sense, the new covenant is the new covenant. Because it is the true covenant. I mean, in a sense, like all of this, what is the sacrificial system? It is a system that needed a fulfillment in something because the blood of bulls and goats don't actually take away sin. What was the temple, right? It's, it's, it, it was the temple, but now there's a, a truer temple, the people of God that fill the whole world. What was God's promise to the nations and the blessing of the nations? Was it really that like the queen of Sheba would come and learn something from Solomon? No, it was that one day this gospel would be preached in Egypt and in Afghanistan and in North America and in South America and everywhere on the, in the world. And actually the, the offspring has brought about the blessing of the whole world. Yeah, right. That's what the Great Commission is. Yeah. Yeah. Go into all the world. Um, that's the blessing promised to the nations, to Abraham. Right. right. Um, so, yeah, yeah. And, and just to borrow from Hebrews again, just really briefly. You know, uh, the writer of the Hebrews calls uh, you know calls it uh, calls the the things before the shadows. Yes, 
and just, just sort of think about that illustration for a moment, right? The shadow is not the thing itself, right? So you can't look at a shadow and be like, it's all there. It isn't. It's the shadow of the thing. Right. And so if you if you just sort of take that and then use it the way the writer does, everything leading up was the shadow. But It now, has the same form as the thing. You can kind of learn something about the oh, yeah. thing. You can guess at the thing, but it's not the it's thing. It's not the thing itself. Yeah. So that's why it's that's why we need to avoid saying something like it was all already there. You know, it it wasn't. Yeah. Um it's all already here. Yeah. Right when Jesus is born. No, that's helpful. Right. To Mary and Joseph. Well, for Brian Vickers, I'm Jason Dees. Got a few more chapters to go. I look forward to it. So thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Our Daily Rhythm. I'm Jason Dees, one of the pastors of Christ Covenant, and Our Daily Rhythm is a ministry of our church designed to help you more faithfully and effectively meditate on God's Word. If you ever have a question for us about one of our Bible readings or one of your own Bible readings, please don't hesitate to text us at 404-465-1737. Again, that's 404-465-1737. Or email me directly at jason at christcovenant.com. We'll meet you again tomorrow for Our Daily Rhythm.